0: What's up everyone? This podcast is not specifically part of the Deer Vein Whitetail series because we don't really talk a whole lot of hunting strategies, but I thought it was really important to throw this one in there because it is about staying warm in the tree stand. I think for the first 20 minutes we just talk about how to keep your feet warm, which is a huge problem for a ton of hunters. And with the rut, like pretty much upon us here in the next week or two, like a lot of people are gearing up for full day sits. We got some cold weather rolling through. Everyone's starting to talk about how cold they are and all that. So I thought this was a pretty timely podcast and I hope you guys find some value. I got Greg Farrell from First Light on here and we talk about First Light clothing but that's not the only thing we talk about, right? So we actually get into, even if you don't use First Light, if you use Sidka or Kuyu or, or, or Fleet Farm gear or Cabela's gear or, or Realtree, Mossy Oak, whatever, what, whatever the hell you guys use. We talk about the, the principles of layering and how you can do that regardless of what clothing you have. So I hope you guys enjoy this. I hope you find it useful. And of course, be sure to hit me up on Instagram or Facebook if you have any further questions or you can find Greg on there as well. All right, here we go.
1: Um, So I'll be headed to Kansas November 6th,
0: which I'm fired up. Oh, yeah, dude. That's awesome.
1: So it's hard to give up the rut in Wisconsin, but if I'm going to give it up for anywhere, it's, Kansas is a good place to be.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Are you doing, are you doing public land? Or are you going with a guide or? You, you um,
1: there? it's, so it's private land. Basically what it is, is one of our, um, one of our pro staffers is also a whitetail properties agent down there. Okay. Um, and his brother <clears throat> actually runs an outfit. Um, but what we're doing is it's actually pretty cool. So they picked up another, I think it's just shy of 2,500 acre parcel, um, just this year. Um, so they're not putting clients in it or anything this year because they just got it. They're trying to learn it, whatever. So we actually ripped down there, um, earlier and we're kind of helping them. Like, you know, we helped them like get cameras set, like hang some stands and kind of figure this chunk out. So we're myself and then Kevin Harlander from, um, first light, we yeah. both do. So we get to go hunt that this year in exchange for kind of like helping them get it set up and whatever. Yeah. So it's definitely private land. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not like a true, like outfitted gig, if you
0: will. No, you're like the test dummies. You're the yeah. Initial yeah. run, which is but, awesome because you could stumble into something huge or yeah. you just got no clue. The camp, like the
1: pictures we're getting of deer out there. It's like unworldly to me, right? Like I'm used to big deer. I spent a lot of time hunting Western Wisconsin. Um, you know, sometime in Illinois, things like that, but it's like these deer are just like the average deer is just on a different level out there, (laughs) which is like, it's got me like fired up. It's also very different, you know, getting pictures of them versus putting them on the ground, but it's cool just to see the caliber of deer that are running around and
0: the number of them. So. Well, yeah, and breaking down, I mean, 2,500 acres, like breaking that down, you would think like those guys, the new company, the new outfit, like they're probably going to have 10, 15 guys trying to break that thing down this year. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, even the, even last year I had, when we got the 100 acres, I was like, can I get help? Can people, will people come out, will my buddies come out here and hunt this with me? Cause I just need, yep. I need information. Right.
1: Exactly. Well, yeah. And that's the big thing is like for me, it's I need boots on the ground and e scouting is great and cameras are great. But until I actually see, you know, every inch or as many inches of the ground as I can, I just feel like I don't fully understand it. And yeah, and I'm telling that it's like
0: you're throwing darts at a map to start, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Oh, for sure. And it's, yeah, and it's always like, man, I bet the best spot is over that next ridge. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, and I'm um, terrible with that, too. It's like, I'm just, I'm not good at not knowing what's over that next ridge. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> push a little further, push a little further.
0: Yep. Oh, man, I went too far. I should yeah. backtrack.
1: Yeah, back up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, that, that'll be awesome. I mean, that's, is that still the rut, November 6th? Yeah. I mean, so Dalton, be, Kansas yeah,
1: yeah, they'll be like full on fired up there that's yeah. kind of what those so part of their outfit is like most of their outfits actually in that same county I mean okay. they have, I don't even know how many tens of thousands of acres that they run on their outfit, which is just stupid, but that's like we basically said it's like hey we're you know we'll devote whatever time we need you know to be there and he's like, come to six through the thirteenth he's like if it doesn't happen to 6th through the thirteenth it'll be the thirteenth through the sixteenth type of thing so we just kind of based it off what they've seen in that, that county anyways.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Man, that'll be so fun hunting that virgin ground where nobody knows what's going to happen. Yeah. It's kind <laughs> of like uh, the surprise factor is always cool too, right? Yeah. It's like, you just don't really know. Yeah. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah. So you'll be hunting October 31st to like November 5th, probably in Wisconsin. So that was yep. six days and then yep. running down to Kansas.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then I was in Kentucky for their opener. Mm-hmm. Um, like we were there for like a week and a half um yeah and then basically just ripped back from kentucky hunted wisconsin until you know last week and yeah back to wisconsin then kansas and then we're actually going to film the um we're going to film the gun opener in wisconsin this year just oh nice yeah Yeah, we're doing like kind of a cool like more of like a traditions deal it's like the whole like pilgrimage north you know rifle deer camp type of thing which is actually going to be really cool Oh uh, yeah,
0: that'll be awesome.
1: And then yeah, after that, depending on what I got for tags, left, um, bopping around the state and then um gonna go do late archery um in December in North Dakota.
0: Oh, that's gonna that's be cool. Be-
1: yeah, <laughs> it'll be gnarly cold, but <laughs> makes the deer pretty pretty predictable, so it should be fun.
0: Yeah. Oh, that'll be awesome. Um well, that sounds like a hell of a season, man. They got lined up. Yeah, you fill up them tags?
1: Yeah. I was supposed to go to Texas in December as well, but I'm just, there's too much going on with real work and yeah. <laughs> running around
0: everywhere else. So I'm passing on that <laughs> one this year. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. Maybe next year, maybe you can go in January or February or something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Well, I have been, I, I didn't tell you, Greg, cause you're just, you're just chatting away and I thought it was a good spot to start. So I clicked record when you said yep. you're heading down to Kansas. Yeah, cool. <laughs> um, we're doing it. We're so I'm glad you didn't, I'm glad you didn't say the County name. <laughs> 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 um, but, uh, but yeah, for everybody listening, I got Greg Farrell on it's Farrell, right? Correct. Yep. Yep. Greg Farrell with first light. He is there. Well, you, you describe it. It's the whitetail line. Whitetail product line manager. Yep. So all
1: basically right. anything that falls within our our whitetail line is technically kind of the product line that I work on from basically from concept to, you know, bringing the concept to the table and then seeing it through, you know, actual production to the point where it's on the website and people can order it.
0: Yeah. No, that's cool. So you guys, you got to follow him just to get those sneak peeks of, uh, of all the stuff that's coming out. <laughs> yeah, I do a, do a pretty good job at yeah, I try not to give too many because I want to keep my
1: job, but, you know, in a
0: while. <laughs> all right. Um, so today, guys, we're going to, with Greg, obviously being the, the Whitetail product line manager, we're going to talk about clothing, um, but we are going to get into hunting stuff. It just seems like this time of the year, like mid-October or so into November and mm-hmm. definitely into December, you see questions all over the place and everybody gets questions about, um, you know, how do I keep my feet warm? How do I stay warm? How many layers is too many? What's the, what's a great layering system? You know, how can I, um, uh, you know, just stay warm in the tree better when I'm just sitting there for five hours. So it's always, it's always a tough, it's always a question that comes up and I'm sure your buddies asked that and, and everybody else wants to know it. So today that's what we're going to talk about. And of course we're going to, we're going to sprinkle in, um, first light, first light gear and, and how they, how Greg has helped, you know, develop their product line. But a lot of this stuff is a g- general principles, right? Like sweat and wind, you know, and, and keeping your feet warm. Like those are general principles that you can apply with any system. It's just, I've, I've worn first light for the last, I don't know, three years or so. And I've really liked it. And Greg happens to be, we randomly met at a, a BHA event, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. lacrosse.
0: Yeah. In lacrosse. And then just uber random i wanted to buy a bow on craigslist and i found this prime bow and so i just emailed the guy and it happens to be greg i showed up to his house and he looks at me and i look at him i was like greg what's up
1: that was so i mean talk about like what are the chances right because yeah i I remember we were talking and you had a little bit of a drive to come get it um, and you're willing to do it and whatever and maybe it spent a fair amount of time like chatting back and forth you know in the in the progress of, of of selling the bow to you and then you showed up and it's like hey i know you <laughs>
0: <laughs> right yeah um no that's yeah that was cool that was so random um and greg is super into woodworking so if you ever have questions on that <laughs> he's got a pretty cool wood shop um all right well let's let's hop into the clothing stuff and we'll start off with with a banger, which everybody has problems with is keeping your feet warm. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So yeah. Tell me about that. How do you do it? Yeah. Um,
1: so I think the biggest thing, I think there's a couple things that a lot of people make mistakes with, um, in terms of their feet and I've done it, which is why I know about them <laughs> every mistake you can make for keeping your feet warm. Um, I've definitely done, but, um, you know, what I've learned and what I've, figured out that works, you know, throughout the years, one of the biggest things is, is making sure that whatever, and we can get into boot selection as well, but whatever boot you, you are running um, making sure that there's enough space in that boot for air to circulate. Um, Because one of the, one of the things that, you know, that tends to happen is, you know, we constantly think more layers, more socks, more, whatever is better. Right. Well, a couple of things typically happen with that. Um, the first mistake a lot of people make is we're putting, you know, these either super heavy socks or multiple layers of socks on, say at the truck, and then we're walking into our stand and, you know, regardless of whether you got a 400 yard walk, you know, from your cabin to your tree stand or from your house to your tree stand, or, you know, maybe a mile plus if you're hiking into some deep corner of public what ends up happening, especially, you know, if you have a heavier boot on is our feet, you know, your feet start sweating. And once your feet and your socks are wet, you know, now you're just fighting an uphill battle because you have this wet sock inside of a boot. And if you have too many layers of socks or too thick of sock inside that boot, you can't get air to circulate to actually dry those things out. Um, You know, so now as soon as you stop moving, you know, there's, there's less blood flow going to your feet. You know, you're not as warm as you were when you're walking in and you've basically taken a wet blanket and wrapped it around your feet, (laughs) which is just going to pull any warmth out of your feet, you know, that you have. So I think, you know, the big thing is make sure that one, you have enough air circulation. So, you know, your boots are appropriately sized and you're not wearing too thick of a sock. So air can circulate through that boot. Um, Air actually acts as an insulator. So it's going to help keep your feet warm. Um, but also, you know, if, if you do get a little sweated up, walk it in, you want that air to be able to dry your sock out. So I would say that's the first one. Um, the second tactic, <clears> or <throat> excuse me, the second thing that, you know, I've noticed that really helps me is making sure that your sock that you're wearing has a suit as high as possible as a Marine, uh, of Merino content. Um, Merino wool is a pretty incredible material. and You know, we can talk about how I utilize it through my whole system, but especially with your footwear, uh, merino wool actually retains about 80% of its ability to insulate even when wet. So if you do make that mistake and you have a boot that's too tight or, you know, a sock that's too thick and you get sweated up walking in, merino wool versus like a synthetic or a cotton is still going to be able to insulate your foot even when it's wet. So a high content merino wool sock can do wonders for making up for any mistakes you may make on your you know, thickness of sock or layering of your footwear or whatever. Um, So that's kind of the second thing. Um, And then, you know, along that note, a tactic that I've used is if I know I have a super long walk and I'm wearing a more insulated boot, there's a good chance that I'm not going to be able to avoid getting my feet a little bit sweaty walking in. So I've actually, in those situations, one of the, my favorite things to do is I throw an extra pair of socks in my bag. And I'll actually, get, you know, I'll do my full walk in because some of my, I mean, private and public land spots, I, I got a good hike in there um, for, we, we were talking about this before we started recording, but I'm definitely the guy that likes to know it's over the next ridge, which typically ends up meaning that I'm like <laughs> the furthest away from anybody wherever I start. Yeah. So I just throw an extra pair of socks in my bag. And as soon as I get to the tree, whether my feet feel wet or not, I switch out the socks that I wore in for a pair of dry socks. Um, which can make a huge, huge difference. Um, and how warm your feet stay over that, you know, whatever three, four, five, 12 sit, depending on the time of year.
0: Yeah. Oh, those are great tips. So, um, and I have also experienced a whole lot of coldness. <laughs> so yeah. I experimented a, a lot as well. And I have a system that works for me. Um, but before I get to that boot size, um, so like you, you, you say you want extra air in there. Is that like a half size big or like a full size big or just like not dead tight? Yeah. I, I, I
1: don't want, I don't, you don't want oversized boots either. Right. right. If your boots are too big. You know, you're not as agile climbing into your tree, hanging your saddle, whatever it might be. So I, I definitely don't, I'm not encouraging like a full size big, but I would just make sure that, you know, when you purchase your boots. When you're trying those boots on, make sure that you're thinking about, you know, how thick of a sock you're going to be wearing given the season. So for example, like my early season boots, I'm not as concerned. I want those to be, you know, almost a true like shoe fit because a lot of times early season, you know, I'm wearing a very thin sock. It's warm out. Um, A lot of times like I'm, you know, I'm hanging sets, I'm doing work, I'm whatever that time of year. So, you know, I'm going to get a more like true to shoe size um, for my boot for that early season boot. But as I move into my later season boots, it's like, I know I'm going to be wearing a thicker sock. So when I try those on and select my size, you know, make sure I have those socks on and they still fit, but they have enough room, you know, where air can circulate. It's not cheap. Like you're saying, you know, it's not choked out essentially.
0: Okay. Got it. So, yeah, you're, so you advocate for kind of like an early season boot and then a mid to late season boot for those colder weathers, those colder weather times. And then, And what about, um, what about insulation, um, with regards to the boots? Yeah. Do you buy uninsulated or what are your thoughts there?
1: Yeah. So what I like to do is I run an uninsulated boot, um, for, I would say my early to mid season. So what that allows me to do is, you know, in Wisconsin on middle of September, when we open, you know, as you know, very well, temps can still be in the 80s some days, right? So with that uninsulated boot, I can run a really thin sock, um, and still be good. I like, I'm a big fan of rubber boots, um, just from a scent perspective. Um, also for me, you know, Creek crossings, things like that. I just, I also love to be able to run my pant inside of my boot. Um, again, from a scent perspective, also from a noise perspective. Um, so I'm. I like to run a rubber boot through as much of the season as I can. So for me, it's an uninsulated, some form of a, you know, lacrosse boot, um, or a muck boot or whatever brand you choose, um, for the early season. And I'll run that into my mid season by increasing my level of insulation in the sock that I'm wearing. So basically like early season, it's a thin, basically just a really thin Merino sock, um, and then I can run that same boot into, you know, say now mid October, late October, just by increasing, um, the level of insulation I'm getting in my sock. And then basically, and I should shouldn't even say a lot of times I'm into November with that. And then basically when the temps really drop. So, you know, when I'm consistently sitting in temps that are, you know, I would say below 35, that's when I jump up to my insulated boot. It's almost like reverse, right? Like in those mid thirties, I'm running an insulated boot, but I'm actually going back to a thinner sock. And then as those temps drop again into the twenties or even the single digits, I'm just increasing my sock thickness um, in those boots. So when I'm buying boots, going back to sizing, I'm always purchasing the size of that boot based off the thickest sock I would possibly wear in that. Got it. That's what I'm trying to figure out.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. so, okay. We had that question and then you answered that other question. And I also think to, just to add on to your point, um, like a thin sock on the walk-in and then the thick sock when you sit will help as well. Totally. So just, um, yeah, not wearing, don't like throw on, you know, the socks you got for Christmas from your mother-in-law. Cause <laughs> I have those that are just like super thick. Yeah. Don't wear those on the way in, just wear those on the sit and then swap boots when you get there. And it sucks. Like it, it, it does suck when it's like 10 degrees out and you're swapping socks, you're taking mm-hmm. off your boots. Um, <laughs> it's not fun, but the next five, it makes the next five hours much more fun.
1: Exactly. It's that, it's that 30 seconds of, of pain for five hours of comfort. Here's, <laughs> right. here's, an, here's another little trick. I know you didn't really ask, but I just, you know, I, I think this is worth throwing this in there. Um, the downfall of rubber boots, I was just telling you, I'm a big rubber boot guy. The downfall yeah. of rubber boots is they're terrible in a tree stand because with that rubber sole, what's happening is, you know, you have a cold metal tree stand that inherently is sucking heat out of your feet. And with this, with typically with a solid rubber sole, that's not a great insulator. So in a stand or in a saddle, um, your platform is metal. It's pulling heat out of your feet. Um, and the rubber boots don't do nearly as good of a job as like, you know, say like an Arctic pro or like a pack boot, that's actually gonna be much better insulator when you get to those really cold temps. So okay. that's another route you can go. But if you want to run a rubber boot, even in those cold temps, what I've actually done or do is I have a piece of, um, it's actually like a, a piece of like heavy duty felt that I can roll up and stick in my pack, old chunk of carpet works or anything like that. And actually throw that down. So, like, if I get into single digits and still want to run my rubber boots, yeah. i roll a piece of felt up, put it in my pack, and then as soon as I get up my stand, I put that down on top of my metal stand. And that just acts as another nice. barrier between your boot and that metal stand, so your, yeah. the stand isn't
0: pulling as much heat, you know, out of your feet through the bottom of that boot. Oh, that's a great, that's a good one. I've never, I've seen people do that, but I've always thought it was just for, um, for noise. So, you know, which helps as well. Totally. That's a great point to act as an insulating layer for that. And it's nothing, I mean, it could even be as simple as like, you know, an old t-shirt or just something, something Mm -hmm. to give you a little bit of distance between that metal frame.
1: Yeah. A lot of those like thicker, um, I think they're even, uh, they're like landscaping felts or like the, you know, but obviously the thicker, the better the nice thing with those is they roll up super easy. You know, I actually made like a, just like a, you know, kind of like a pattern of the outline of my stand. And I have one for my platform for my saddle as well. Nice. Uh, Yeah. And you just roll them up and shove them in your pack.
0: That's slick. No, that's a good, that's a great idea. Um, my, so I've worn, I wear, well, I had lacrosse. I had a nice set of lacrosse boots until I left them in the parking lot on public land and uh, went back the next morning at 8am, they were gone. (laughs) Um, so I, I haven't bought a second pair yet, but when I had those, my biggest gripe, like, I like wearing them for all those same reasons, but my biggest gripe was they like, they don't breathe, right. They're Mm -hmm. not meant to breathe at all. So if you get water in there, or if you get them sweaty, like they're pretty much saying sweaty. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's one of my, that's one of the things that I noticed with them. Um, and I don't know if it's just because I had like the $90 lacrosse boots um, and they have, they were kind of more neoprene than they were um, rubber. But, uh, but so what I did when I had those was I would actually on the walk in, I would put my feet in plastic bags, put my socks in a plastic bag and then wear that in the boot. And then that would keep all the moisture from my sweat okay. sucked onto my sock. And it wouldn't let the boot get wet at all.
1: Mm-hmm. And then
0: when I swap socks, I would pull that plastic bag out and then just put it in my bag. Mm-hmm. And then my boot would be dry, but warm. And my new sock would be dry. Yeah. That was my kind of solution to it. And it seemed to work a few times. Um, I tried it like four or five times and it, and it worked every time, but it's kind of a pain and it's loud. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Yeah. I think it really just comes down to, you know, we think about moisture management
1: on the rest of our body, right? Like I'm sure you do it just like everybody else. It's like you figure out what, basically what is the minimum amount I can wear while walking in and still be comfortable, not too cold, right?
0: And we're always <laughs> right. playing
1: that game with our pants and our upper layers. But for some, whatever reason, I think most people just ignore that same concept with your feet. And then, of course, it's like, what's the first thing that gets cold? Your feet. Your feet. <laughs> so, like, you have to get in the mindset of it's the same deal with your feet. It's that, you know, it's that moisture management on the way in so that, you know, the sit becomes more comfortable. And that, you know, it's two-pronged. It's one, you know, how are you layering there? And, you know, what what are you doing to minimize the amount of potential sweat as your body puts out a bunch of heat? And then it's also, two. it's like, you know, why do we wear Merino next to skin on your uppers and lowers? It's like for the same reason you should probably be wearing Merino next to skin. <laughs> heat. So yeah. it's kind of two pronged approach to mitigating overheating or any moisture buildup on the way in so that your sits more comfortable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think the biggest reason people don't is because it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> it's <laughs> Like, Oh man, I don't want to change my boots. Let's just work on it. Um, yeah. yeah. And then, I mean, you see a lot of people doing foot warmers and stuff like that and they help, but if you just properly manage your moisture in the first place, if you follow these tips, Greg's have been, Greg has been talking about, you're going to, you're not going to need them. Or if you do need them, it's only going to add, it's going to be a, in a an adder on to the warmth. Mm-hmm. Like you don't, when I've, so I've run uninsulated, I run on un, uninsulated, just pack boots year round. So this year I, I have the I have the Schnees um, I don't know I bought I bought the nice pair they were on sale for 80 bucks off they were 300 bucks um, I forget what they were but um, but those I I ran I've always ran the last couple of years I've ran uninsulated boots just because and not the not the rubber boots because I felt like and for right or wrong this was my own interpretation was I felt like they could breathe better so when on my walk in that moisture would actually move like through the boot a little bit more mm-hmm. than the rubber boot. Um, but then I didn't have like, when I did the the process of changing socks, when I got to the stand, I didn't ever need foot warmers. The only times I really needed foot warmers was when I didn't change my socks. Um, and that's hunting Wisconsin, Southern Wisconsin, where like a real cold day in the stand is negative five and you know, a decent walk-in is like in the thirties, forties. Um, but yeah, as far as the boot, in the, gram thinsulate and things like that, I think that's all a personal preference. I, I don't think, I personally think it's a terrible idea to buy like 1,000, 1,200 gram, 1,800 gram, 2,000 gram thinsulate boots and then walk to the stand in them and then bitch about having cold feet because they're 150 degrees in there the whole walk-in. Mm-hmm. You know it's all, like you see that all the time, like I'm gonna stay warm in these, fuck these things suck, and it's not yeah. it's not the boot, it's you improperly using the boot, yeah, totally yeah
1: uh, i have i'm I mean I'm a firm, I'm very much with you on that, like I try to eliminate insulation of the boot and increase or decrease based off of my my sock choice. I do have one pair of like eighteen hundred gram thin slate boots. And for me, those sit on my boot shelf 99% of the year. Yeah. But what I do really like those for, you know, as you know, for whatever reason, every year, it seems like the coldest weekend in Wisconsin, like, you know, that time of year ends up being like our gun opener for say, you know? <laughs> Yeah. and especially like, I'm, I go way, way up North, you know, basically as far North as you can go. And it's like, it's not unusual for us to see single digit temps that weekend. Um, And for those, those sits, um, and I try and sit, you know, at least through that lunch hour, uh, most of the days, just because we're hunting public. So there's guys coming in and out and a lot of my best hunting is when other hunters are bumping deer.
0: That 10 AM, 11 AM.
1: Yeah, exactly. But what I do with those boots is I leave them fully. I look like, I mean, I know I look like Elmer Fudd walking into my stand, but I leave those things like fully open, like don't lace them up. These These are actually more of like a pack boot style. Yeah, um, you're not a rubber boot, but I leave those things fully open on the walk in um, so that I can vent that heat, right? And I make sure that my pants are above the boot. So there's essentially like a space, you know, maybe like a four or five inch space. I roll the bottom of my pants up, leave mm-hmm. the boot open, and I can dump a bunch of heat while I'm walking in. If I need yeah. to, you know, if it gets cold enough I need to wear those.
0: That's a huge, That is that is actually a tip that I totally forgot to mention that I do as well. Was even when you're wearing rubber boots, like roll your pants up on the walk-in so that that heat can come out of the boot and that moisture can come out of the boot. If you tuck your pants in on the walk-in or you drape them over the boot, you can trap that heat and moisture right in there. And then your pants will get damp and your socks will get damp and it'll keep it all in there. Whereas if you roll it up and you let it vent, you're just, you're not going to totally remove it, but you're going to give, you're going to mitigate a lot of it. And that's yeah. a great that's a great idea keeping those unlaced. And then do you just tuck your laces into your boot and just kind of trudge your way out? <laughs> I actually do. Like I end up tying. Basically, what I do is I take the laces and I'll
1: tie the ends together, like just the ends. Okay. And then, so that they're not flopping all over the place. Yeah, yeah. But basically, it's like it's as open as the boot can be with the the lace ends still tied together. And then Got I just nice. loosen up the rest of the laces all the way down.
0: Yeah. Okay. And the other time I can see like having those eighteen hundred or two thousand gram slate boots is if you're getting dropped off at the tree stand, yeah, like, from a four wheeler, and you're not walking anywhere. Hell yeah, put those things on because they're going to be awesome. But if you're if you're doing any sort of walk, especially like doing uphill in Western Wisconsin, like both of us do, up and downhill, like those things are not <laughs> not going to treat you well. <laughs> even climb, I mean, you know, it's it's a it it doesn't take
1: very long to do. But even climbing into a tree stand, you know, I, I think we oftentimes forget. You know, you're you're doing it's a, am not saying it's a high output activity, but like that motion of climbing and kind of pulling yourself up and you know, essentially it's a one-legged squat, depending on how far apart your steps are or whatever, right? Like you can kick off some serious heat climbing 25, 30 feet in a tree, especially if you're hanging a tree stand, you know, you're doing like a hanging hunt or you're you know, you're setting up your saddle or you know, something like that. That's a lot different than. You know, if you just have to climb up into a 15 foot ladder stand, not that one is better than the other, but just take that into consideration with your entire layering system, you know, before you actually do that activity where it's like, if you're doing a hanging hunt and depending on like, you know, the, the way you do it, um, I am a big fan of only going up the tree once. Um, so I kind of <laughs> have my system dialed for that, but yeah. you know, if you're planning on kind of going up and down the tree a few times, like don't be putting your
0: full kit on before you do that. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I've, I've found myself doing that. The big theme of this whole podcast, you guys are going to find out is just moisture management. That's like, that's the big theme of everything. And I've watched a ton of your, a ton of first lights content and I've paid attention to it because I was one of those guys that always got cold in all these different scenarios. And I just like wanted to stop that. So I just did a ton of research and it all boils down every single podcast. Everything you really listen to is moisture management and layering. Yeah. So yeah, if you're if you're running gun style on public land and that's that's me for sure some days. And some days I'm I'm in a ladder stand, a 15-foot ladder stand on private. Um having the minimal amount of your kit on, you know, getting out of the truck and being cold, like that is the point. You know, as cold as you can stand, be that because then when you're walking in, you know, you're not gonna be sweating a ton. And then when you get there, don't just throw all your layers on right away. Mm-hmm. You know, get set up take a couple minute break, let that sweat kind of, and that heat start going away from you. Give yourself five minutes, which means you have to get up earlier. I know that's kind of a pain, but then, but then start putting, you know, your jacket on and your sweatshirt on and and your gloves on and your hat on, because if you do that too soon, you're just going to trap all that moisture and trap all that heat. And then all that stuff's going to get wet anyway.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that like that transitions into the the next step of this, right? Like we've, we've talked about feet, like move up your, move the way up your body from there. And for me, it's like the same principles apply. So, you know, my, my next to skin layer, whether it be bottoms or tops is always one of our, um, our arrow wool pieces. So, and our arrow wool line, that's our lightest weight Merino stuff. Um, And again, like I'm giving first light references, but these principles apply across the board. Uh, what that is, is it's a Merino wool nylon blend. And why I always run that next to skin is you get the benefits of Merino wool that we've already talked about. Um, but the one, the one downfall of Merino wool is that it doesn't dry super quickly. That's like, that's the only kind of chink in the armor, um, that Merino wool has. So by making a Merino wool nylon blend, nylon, you know, synthetic inherently dries very quickly. So you're kind of getting the best of both worlds there. And that's why I run it next to skin, because I know that, you know, that next to skin piece, both top and bottom is essentially managing, you know, what I call like my microclimate. It's that, that climate right next to my skin. It's kind of the, you know, it's the temperature and the humidity that I noticed the most. So mm-hmm. with running a, you know, a synthetic Merino will blend next to skin, um, that, Nylon portion of it. If I do get sweated up, it's going to dry super quick. It's going to take that moisture from my body, push it to the outer layer of that um, piece, and let it evaporate off. The merino wool is going to do a great job of basically managing that microclimate. So as I get warmer, it's actually keeping me a little bit cooler, right? It cools myself sure. down. If I col- if I get cold, it's actually insulating. And people are like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, how can the same garment <laughs> do both it things? but it goes back to like the Merino sheep that we get this wool from, you know, they live in these super, super high, um, uh, altitudes and New Zealand is where most of our wool comes from. And in the, the mountains where they live in New Zealand, you know, on any given day, it can go from 80, you know, in the middle of the day to snowing that night. So they've evolved, you know, with yeah. essentially a Merino wool garment as part of their body, that keeps them cool in those 80 degree, you know, midday sun beating on them temps and also keeps them warm when it starts snowing that evening. Yeah. Uh, so you know, that's why the Merino is so great next to skin because it manages that temperature range of your microclimate. And then that synthetic piece does help it dry out quicker if it gets a little warm. So for me, regardless of if it's 80 degrees on September 15th, the Wisconsin opener, like that's what I'm wearing as my next skin, but it's also my outerwear because that's all I'm wearing. Right. Yeah. And if it's five degrees um, in, you know, late December, January, late season archery hunt, like that's still my next skin piece. That's my foundation. And then I just build on top of that um, with a layering system that works in conjunction with that piece.
0: Yeah. So, and I, I think it's important to note is like, people think of wool. They think all it does is keep, keep you warm. Like that's what everybody's thought wool's done forever. Um, and I don't know, maybe five years ago, six years ago, I started elk hunting. And so I, I really started looking into like all the base layers and the layering systems because you're getting up in the morning and it's 30 degrees and then midday it's 80. And then at night it's back down to, you know, 25 or whatever. And having a layering system really, really helps for that. And i after I did that, I came back and I was like, well, I bought all this really nice stuff. I'm just going to use it for whitetails. I was like, holy shit, all this stuff works for whitetails too. Really, really well. (laughs) And that's why I've become like an advocate as well of, of Merino. Like it just, I think so many, so many bow hunters out there just throw on a cotton t-shirt and away they go. And then they're like, man, it's so sweaty. You know, I'm cold. Like it doesn't, this isn't comfortable. Like a Merino wool base layer, if nothing else will drastically change your warmth just because like you're saying it, it's a weird concept, but it keeps you cool when it's hot and it keeps you warm when it's cold. Like it's, it, it just, it mat it's magic. I don't know. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not a scientist, but I don't know, but it's magic. And, um, and then, and then it also wicks moisture off your body. So it pulls, whereas like a cotton t-shirt will hold that moisture and just sit against your chest or sit against your uh, legs or whatever, wherever it is. Um, the the Merino will actually pull that moisture off and push it to the next layer. So, or or hold it between the layers, depending on what your next layer is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm a big advocate for that as well. Um, and I think it's, yeah, it's it's a great way. It's the first thing I tell people to buy. Like if you're cold, buy Merino bases. Like that will help so much.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm the same way, right? And, and this stuff's not, I'm under no, like- delusion like it's not cheap right no (laughs) Um, i fully understand like this is it's it's any any quality gear that's made out of merino it's a high quality merino you know it's really small microns which is going to make it super comfortable next to skin but that stuff is it's expensive as a raw material it's expensive and therefore as a finished garment it's expensive um and i tell people that all the time it's like you know if you're curious about merino wool or you're curious about first light like buy a base layer, buy a set of boxers, you know, buy a, yeah. a upper, whether it's a, a short sleeve or a long sleeve or the hoodie, like buy one base layer and just start wearing it all the time. I mean, wear it to the gym, wear it on your run, wear it, you know, scouting, wear it hunting. And that's when people, you know, that light bulb goes off. It's like, it's one of those things you almost have to experience to really fully understand. But once you do then yeah. it's like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, this is, you know, I could buy three of my old synthetic t-shirts or three of my old cotton layers for the price of this one, you know, but this one layer does more than those three together. So when you actually cost it out, you know, it's like, how much of your kit can you replace with fewer pieces that are more versatile? Like the numbers actually add up, but until you kind of experience that, it's a hard, it's a little bit of a hard concept. Um, But in addition to that, it's like, okay, You know, when people are like, well, why should I spend, why should I spend $70 on a a base layer, $50 on a base layer? It's like, what are the two most important things to you as a whitetail hunter? And we always go back to noise and scent, right? Yeah. Well, Merino wool, the reason that things start to smell is as moisture builds up on it, it allows bacteria to grow. The bacteria portion of, you know, that's growing on your garment is what's putting out that odor. Merino wool naturally—it's not a treatment; it's not something that washes out or wears out, or that you have to recharge in the dryer. You know, it doesn't allow bacteria <laughs> to grow, which is why you can wear the same base layer for a seven-day elk hunt. You know, where you're doing ten thousand feet of elevation change a day, and it doesn't smell. Was well, a whitetail hunter like, yeah, I don't want to smell, right? Like that's one of their their strongest senses. So if I can not smell, that's perfect. And the stuff's dead quiet, regardless of if it's 80 degrees out or it's five degrees out, it's like you just check the two most important boxes for yourself as a whitetail hunter in one garment.
0: Right. Yeah. And that is a big, that is a big point. I mean, I'm a, I'm a stinky dude. Like my wife will be like, you know, (laughs) she'll be like, Anthony, go put some deodorant on, (laughs) you know? Um, and I'll wear those Merinos and they won't, they won't stink. They have their own distinct smell, which smells like wool. Mm -hmm. Um, and the first time you ever put one on, you're like, ah, this is kind of itchy. But after you like wear it for 10 minutes, you're like, all right, no, that makes it like, it's not a bad deal. Like it's not an issue. Um, and it's not like, oh my God, this thing's itchy. Like typical wool is like you were saying earlier, it's, what'd you call it? Micro. Micron. So yeah, yeah, like
1: all Merino wool is not created equal. Like if it's Merino wool, like, yeah, it came from a Merino sheep, but depending on where, you pull that wool from when they shear these sheep and what, what portion of the wool you're using, there's different thicknesses of the material itself. So of the fibers, you know, the thicker it gets, the more it gets into like, what we think of as grandpa's itchy Christmas sweater. And (laughs) that's when it gets cheaper, right? Like that raw material is cheaper. The thinner fibers, you know, as that micron, that's how they measure it gets smaller. It gets more expensive as a raw material, but that's like when you buy one of our base layers and you put it on, you're like, whoa, this is like the softest shirt I've ever put yeah. on my body. Right. Like that's that's the the material that we choose to use. And that's why, you know, our our gear is expensive, but it's way more comfortable next to skin and it performs way better. So right.
0: Over the course of five,
1: six hour sits. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Even if you're shopping out, like, and you're, you're looking at other brands, I don't care. Pick a brand. It's like, well, why is this Merino Merino wool shirt? $35 and this one's 70, you know, dig in a little bit more and find out like what micron wool are they using? And the finer the micron, the more comfortable it's going to be next to
0: skin. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And I used to run, I used to run, um, like the fleet farm special thermals, right? you know, that, that everybody in Wisconsin goes and grabs, you know, the day before opener have gone like, Oh man, it's cold. I got to put some, you know, get these cotton thermals. Um, and I just like that stuff, it just gets wet and it just wasn't good. <laughs> so yeah, after switching to those Merino bases, um, it's a world of difference. So anyway, like we can move on from the subject. We've been beating it up. <laughs> <laughs> check out the Merino wool for sure. And, and if you guys feel like supporting Greg, go to first light and check that out there. Um, yeah, you guys usually run a sale if it's too expensive, like right now and you guys don't want to try it. You guys usually run a sale in like the spring, right. Kind of clearing out old lines every now and then.
1: Yeah. You know, honestly, we, we don't go off price too often. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of times I know. <laughs> you know, like for us, a big, a big challenge is, is inventory management. You know, I, and I know people get frustrated yep. because you go at, you know, say the middle or the end of the season, and you try and buy stuff and it's sold out. And I will say that, you know, as our bandwidth has increased, you know, our inventory position has changed. Like that's a lot, it's a hundred times better now than it was before, but our goal as a an apparel company is essentially to be sold out right by the end of the season yeah you know, next year we restock and new stuff comes out and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, typically once or twice a year, you know, there'll be a, a sale and we, we kind of stagger those between, you know, try and split those up throughout the year. Um, it doesn't happen too often, but um, you can count on at least once a year, if not twice a yeah. year.
0: Yeah. Just sign up for the First Light newsletter Yep, and you'll be able to for get sure. those emails. Yep, um, sure. All right. So moving on from the bases, um next next layering so what are and this this really greatly depends on the time of year right so Mm -hmm. let's talk like just for sake of conversation let's talk like kind of rut temperatures which are like highs in the 50s and lows in like the 20s and then we can touch on the like winter winter stuff where it gets real cold but for the majority this this podcast is going to air next week so it'll be October 28th. So people will be really looking at it through November.
1: Yeah. Um, so what I, you know, gosh, and it's so tough too, because it's like right in that cusp, right. Where we're talking about temperatures in Wisconsin, if it's on the cold end I'm wearing one thing, you know, if it's on the hot end, yeah. I'm wearing something else. Um, but the, really the basis for what comes next is you have to think about, what you know, you, you're right. We beat it to death. But what does that merino wool do? It's pulling moisture away from the body, right? And it's keeping you scent odor free. So if that's pulling moisture away from the body, I'm I need to make sure that my next layer is working as a system with that first layer. So what is that next layer doing to continue to push that moisture to the outside of my kit um, and not trap it in between those two layers? Um, so on the upper end of that temperature range you just mentioned, um, the piece I really like, um, for those little bit warmer days, pre-rut and rut is our catalyst system, which is a two layer soft shell kit. Um, the great thing about that, both tops and bottoms is it has a, it's a 37.5 technology fleece on the interior. And what that specific fleece does, um, is it does a really good job of moving moisture. Um, from the inside to the outside of the garment. And it actually does it at the um, vapor level. So even before you notice yourself sweating, you're putting off water vapor. And that will actually take that vapor and push it to the outside of the garment before it becomes liquid. Now, if it becomes liquid, you know, sweat, it's going to still do the same thing. So, you know, that merino wool takes some of your sweat, pushes it to the outside of that layer, that 37.5 fleece which is right next to that wool is going to do the same thing. It's going to grab it and continue to move it. Um, so that's why I love I love that piece. On the exterior of that garment or the face fabric as we call it, it's this really, really durable, super quiet exterior. So as a you know as an archery bow hunter, um, you know, in the whitetail world, that's kind of where I spend most of my time. It's the perfect material because it's quiet. I don't have to worry about it. It doesn't pick up burrs or stickers or thistles or any of that stuff that we walk through. So I don't have to worry about picking that stuff off of it. It wears like iron. Um, it works with my Merino. So it's kind of like the perfect combination, that catalyst jacket and pant um, for the higher. So like the fifties, you know, in that range, if it gets any colder, um, we have a kit, it's called the solitude kit. And it's basically that, that same catalyst technology. But all we did is we put a layer of insulation in between that 37.5 fleece that I was telling you about on the interior and that super quiet exterior face fabric. So it's kind of like that catalyst on steroids. So if I'm getting into the, you know, the thirties or even the low forties, that's when I'll jump up to that solitude kit versus the catalyst. So essentially it's the same technology in those two, um, catalyst kit or solitude kit, The only difference is that, you know, the solitude, you get a little bit of extra insulation in there for those colder temps.
0: Got it. Um, Okay. So then with the, with the Merino base, that is like, I have the catalyst as well. Um, And it's pretty much like a soft shell it's like your standard, like the outer material is like that, that Columbia or North face soft shell that you buy. It's just real quiet, real soft. Doesn't pick up burrs. Like you were saying, which I will wear it early season just through (laughs) like burdock patches and stuff. So I don't get it on my Marina. I'll sweat in that time frame just to do that. Just so I don't have to catch all those burrs and stickers and everything. But, um, uh, yeah, that's, I have that. I don't know where I was going with that. I forgot, (laughs) but I do have, I do have that piece. Um, and I also wear the, the other Merino hoodie. Um, gosh, we were talking about what's that? The kiln two hundred and fifty. hoodie. Yeah. The kiln. So like, am I being, is it dumb that I wear like, uh, the t-shirt Merino plus the kiln and then the catalyst? Like, is that a bad idea? No, not at all. I mean, that's
1: exactly what that system's designed to do. Okay. Um, honestly, you can get. You know, I'm just talking. I'm I'm trying to keep this at like a super high general level because you know I could spend three hours talking about you know different <laughs> like combinations of layering systems, but like what you're talking about is the perfect way to take say say this year it's like I have x x amount of budget for my hunting gear, which we all do, right? Yeah. If you want to take that catalyst jacket and pant and extended season. Like that's a great way to do it because what you can do then is essentially instead of, you know, going from the catalyst to the solitude earlier in the season, what you do is you just continue with your layering system underneath. And maybe you have some of those pieces already. Cause like to your point, you know, you, you bought them or you have them for like, as part of your Western kit, yeah. it works just as well for your whitetail kit. So yeah, run your, you know, your arrow wool next to skin you're killing two fifty on top of that. And then your catalyst, you know, or maybe Correct. it's like, you know, I don't have a solitude kit yet. So I'm going to do my arrow next to skin, my killing two fifty. you know, and maybe I'm putting like a sawtooth vest or even like a furnace, which is our heaviest weight wool on top of that. And then my catalyst. So now you're just extending okay. the season in which you can use that catalyst as your outerwear. Um, yeah. and that system is still working together perfectly. Like all of those pieces are designed to be used together. So that's a great solution. Um, you know, if you have those pieces in your quiver already, like definitely use them, just add more.
0: Got it. So then what about, what about those guys who are just like getting into Merino and they buy that base and then they got, they're trying to figure out, all right, I don't have enough money to buy the catalyst. What should I, I mean, I probably have a camo jacket, but should I put something between that camo jacket and my base and if so is like a, a, is a cotton sweatshirt the way to go or what should what should i look for in my you know closet that would work yeah i mean that's a you, tough one i know that's a really it, tough question because it's like hey how can i like make a system work that doesn't work <laughs>
1: yeah no but
0: but it's it's reality right it's life yeah. like we don't have we don't have these
1: unlimited gear budgets where you know, we could just go buy everything that our heart desires. So this is a real world situation. And I think it's a great question. And I think, you know, the way I always try and navigate this with people is like, the the most important piece of your house is the foundation in which it sits on, right? Like you could have the build the most beautiful house in the world. But if you build it on a crappy foundation, you know, everything that the eye sees when people drive by or they come into your house, like it's going to fall apart and it's yeah. not going to So to that point, it's like, you know, whatever your budget allows, put it into the foundation. So those next to skin pieces. So maybe this year it's like, if your budget allows, like buy two pieces and make sure they're your next to skin pieces, you know, two quality next to skin pieces, maybe one for your top one for your lowers, you know, and then the year after that, it's like, how can I build on that foundation? So then to your point, it's like, Maybe next year I'm replacing that cotton sweatshirt that I was wearing over my air wool this year with a kiln layer, like a 250 sure. more mid la- you know midweight um, second layer style piece, and then the year after that maybe I move into that catalyst jacket. But I always like I always try and get people to work from the inside out. As you're investing in good clothing, like always start at the inside layer and work your way out. Sure. And if this year it's like yeah I'm running my cotton sweatshirt and my you know army surplus jacket over the top of that which I've done for the vast majority of my (laughs) you know young hunting career like all through basically from the time I started hunting you know until I really started like kind of nerding out on this gear stuff later in life because I was sick of being uncomfortable was the same thing it was like army surplus jacket you know fleet farm uh clearance uh thermals you know whatever like I've, I've done it all so I would say to your point it's like with what you can within your budget, you know, build that foundation and just start working your way out, you know, as time allows and do it over a couple of years, right? Like you don't have to fully do this in one year or two years. Right.
0: Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, as I asked that question and, and think about your response um, the big thing comes back to again, like moisture management. So if you have like, let's just say you have the, the Merino top and then you throw a sweatshirt on and then you have like a camo jacket, right. Yeah. Over top yeah. of that. The big, the big thing is just don't sweat into that sweatshirt or, or really try to minimize that. So if that's the case and you're getting uncomfortable in the stand, it's because your sweatshirt's getting wet mm-hmm. and, and it's sitting right on top of that base and which mm-hmm. is right next to your skin. So either take your time more when you're walking in or try swapping that sweatshirt with something else, maybe just a, a long sleeve thicker t-shirt that you can take off and stuff stuff in your pack once you get there and then throw your sweatshirt on and your jacket on once you get there i mean i've literally tied like i don't have room in my pack for a for a jacket or something so i literally just tie it to the outside of my backpack and i just walk in with it or i tie it to my tree stand or my saddle or whatever i'm bringing in so that like it's there and i'm not wearing it and i'm cold on the way in and i'm not sweating i think that's like the big the big piece
1: You hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's exactly what I was going to say. Um, You know, the other option along those same lines is, you know, bring your cotton sweatshirt and your camo jacket in with you, however you can on your pack and literally like get into your stand or hang your stand and sit there just in that merino wool base layer, your foundation until you actually feel your style. Like not until you're shivering, but until you feel yourself start to cool down like that Merino wool is doing what it's meant to do. It's pulling that moisture away. It's evaporating off. Like evaporative cooling is actually, you know, it's, it's a real thing. Um, That's why you feel yourself actually cooling down as that moisture is evaporating off. And then at that point where you you can feel your core temp kind of drop, you're not shivering yet. Like pull that sweatshirt on over top, put that jacket on, you know, over top of that. And as long as to your point, those things aren't wet, they're, they're going to insulate. Right. But where you run into a problem with them is if you're still too warm and that base layer is pulling moisture away from your body, but then it's getting stuck at that cotton sweatshirt, that cotton sweatshirt is just going to absorb it all. And then you're, you know, then you're in a rough spot. You're fighting a losing battle with your gear. Yeah. So just being conscious of like, when does that stuff actually go on, on top of your foundation um, can go a long way in keeping you warm.
0: Yeah. I know when it's like, when it's like zero degrees or five degrees, I remember a couple of ruts, maybe it was two years ago. Yeah. It was two years ago during the rut in Wisconsin, November 1st to like the 10th, it was like five to 10 degrees. It was one of the coldest ruts I've ever had. And I would pack, I was packing in my jacket and like essentially my big puffy pants and to an extra pair of socks. So like. I just had all this gear hanging off my bag and I was literally using my Western bag just so I could stuff it all in there. But then I wasn't getting sweaty on the way in. And then I was putting it all on at the stand and I was just giving myself, you know, if I needed to be in the stand and set up by six, um, you know, and I had a 45 minute walk in, I would give myself an extra 15 minutes for when I get to the tree to just putz around with all that, and and be quiet and people think like oh man you're gonna blow out all the deer and everything i have just as many deer come through in an area when i'm doing stuff like that than when i don't like mm-hmm. i i really don't think unless you're like hunting right in like the bedding area and there their deer in there then yeah you, you might blow them out when you're like unzipping all your stuff and moving all around but other than that i mean I like to, when I have gear like that and it's that cold, I will tend to hunt more of where the deer are going to be and not where they are. So that's, that's kind of my strategy there is like, and especially during the rut, you know, a lot of times you're hunting those, those travel routes from bedding area to bedding area. So if you can position yourself between bedding areas and maybe 50 to 60 yards from one and, you know, 150 or 200 yards from another, that's going to give you plenty of room to make that noise and not have it be a big issue. Especially if you get some wind or some snow or something, um, you'll be fine. I think yeah. that's one. Of, that was one of the big detriments for me, like why I didn't want to do that because I was too afraid that I was going to blow deer out and make all this noise and everything. Um, so I just wanted to co- cover that real quick because I I think it's important. It's it's more important that I sit in that sand and be comfortable for the next six hours than that 10, 15 minutes that I'm going to be changing around.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you bring up a great point there. So much of this all comes down to time of season, right? Like if, and if you think about like your early season, your late season as the book ends, you know, during both of those times you're hunting feeding patterns, so you're not sitting in the stand as long. So if it's like opening weekend or, you know, the last weekend, I'm willing to push my gear a little bit harder, like closer to red line, where it's like, maybe I'm not doing all these things we're talking about because I know that I'm only sitting for two or three hours in the morning or in the afternoon. It's like you can stay pretty comfortable for two or three hours, even still making some mistakes. So like during you can grunt that out. Exactly. And like during those times, it's like I'll push my layering system a little closer to red line, knowing that I might sweat a little bit but I'm going to let that layering system do its job and keep me comfortable for those two or three hours, you know, where maybe I would have pushed it too hard if I'm trying to do an all day sit, right? Like your, your gear can only make up for so many of your mistakes for so long. (laughs) If we're talking, you know, November 3rd and I'm planning on doing an all day sit, I need to really be more meticulous about understanding moisture management and uh, helping my gear do its job versus like working against my gear. And that's when I'm going to spend that extra 15 minutes, you know, or get in there 15 or 20 minutes earlier so that I can actually be dressing, whether it be in my stand or at the base of my tree in the pitch black, right? Which I'm a huge, I've, I've got away with a lot of stuff when it's super like pitch black dark out yeah. versus like just a hint of light. Like I've literally, I've changed my kit at the base of my tree with a headlamp on and like look up and I can see, you know, deer eyes looking at me, but I can go through that whole process of actually changing that kit out without spooking them where when there's just a hint of light, you don't get away with that stuff.
0: Dude, it's like a light switch. It's like all of a sudden, like the sun starts to rise and it's like gray light and the deer go, Oh man, I can be killed now. Yeah. Like, you know, or where, whereas, you know, 20 minutes earlier, they're like, ah, it's pitch black. There's some noise over there. I can't really smell it. Ah, whatever. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting how that works with, with deer. And, and it's, that's, I've, I can't tell you how many times
1: I've had that same experience. Another thing that I've found too, is like, I can get away with a lot more of that up in my stand. So what I try and do is I try and do as much as I need to, like, I don't want to be switching out pants or like boots up in my stand just cause that's hard. Right. Yeah, and it's not safe. <laughs> so typically what I try and do is like, I get everything in my bottom half switched at the base of the tree yeah. and I save all of the other stuff for in the tree. So I get up there, I get cooked okay. in, I know I'm safe and then I'll actually do the rest of that stuff up in the tree because a up there, you're not making any noise. There's nothing to brush up against. You're not like stepping around on leaves, things like that. And when it's pitch black and you're up 15 to 25 feet, like I've got away with stuff that you would never think you could get away with, you know, a deer at the base of my tree when it's still pitch black like that
0: up there. Yeah. Uh, That's a good, that's a good point. And especially like one of the questions you always get is how do you, how do you saddle hunt, but still have big pants? Like, what do you do then? So I will like, in those scenarios, I actually, just like you're saying is I will get to the tree. I'll put on, I won't have my saddle on yet. I'll put on mm-hmm. my puffy pants and then I'll put my saddle on over that and then go up the tree and get set up. And I might have my puffy pants and a and a Merino t-shirt on, you know? Yeah. Um, because, and then once I'm up in there, then I'm putting on, you know, that kiln and catalyst and, and my other layers,
1: mm-hmm. you know, to
0: stay warm exactly is to your point. Um, well, with the on
1: the saddle front too, like, you know, in all of our whitetail pieces, we have that kit link paths through system, which is essentially, you know, it's a bib that has a kangaroo pouch in it. Um, and then in the jacket, there is complimentary pass through pockets that allow you to get essentially your hands, you know, as close to your body as possible. Your body's putting off a ton of heat and keep them warm. The great thing about that kit link system is that, It couldn't work better than it does with a saddle because all of that, you know, kit link system, that kangaroo pouch, where you're putting your hands to keep them warm, you keep your release in there, your phone in there, whatever it's above any of the tension points of your saddle. It's above where your bridge is. So basically as long as like you're saying, you get your pants on before you put the saddle on all of that, you know, all of that um, kit link system is accessible through your jacket um, and the bibs, even with your saddle on, which works awesome for that scenario.
0: Yeah. I have to, I know that was one of the big things. Is that new for 2020 that, or was that 2019?
1: That uh, that we introduced the kit link system in the solitude, um, in 2019. Okay. Um, And since then we've pushed that into basically, you know, we're pushing that into all of our whitetail outerwear pieces. So that regardless of, what level of insulation you're choosing top and bottom or whatever, you know, kit you need based off of the time of year you have that same kit link system in your outerwear kit.
0: Yeah. No. And that looks, I mean, I was looking at that the other day um, and it's like, I, I've, I've got it in the cart. Yeah. <laughs> I've got it in the online cart. It's really nice. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so yeah, um, what else where we were on just like bases and outers and packing and all that. Um, Oh, the next thing I wanted to kind of cover was like accessories. So which would be your hat, your gloves, like a muff, um, and, and hand warmers. We already kind of talked about those, but Oh, and face masks. Cause I think the, like, I mean, in terms of the hat and gloves, do you want to kind of cover that real quick? Yeah. For me to dive into it. Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. I mean, up to you. I can jump in. So for me, you know, I spend the majority of my time archery hunting and you know, when I'm, when I'm archery hunting, the biggest thing for me in my hands is I need dexterity. Like I need to be able to feel where that riser is on my hand to make sure that my grip on my bow hand is in the right position. And I need to be able to have skin to trigger contact and my release. And that's yeah. across the board, whether you're shooting a wrist release, you know, a, a traditional trigger style or a thumb release or a back tension. So I hate having anything on my hands if I have to, and if I have to have something on my hands, I want it to be minimal. So yeah. people don't believe me, but like, I, I, I have two pairs of gloves that I use an entire season. It's our talus fingerless gloves and our yeah. renal wool liner gloves. And I will use those standalone. I'll use those in combination. But what allows me to only use those two gloves so, a fingerless, obviously, I have a ton of dexterity, and that arrow wool liner gloves, a really thin liner glove. Um, what allows me to do that is that kit leg pass through. So, my hands are always next to my body.
0: Yeah. And
1: I use my body heat and I use the insulation of both my bib and my jacket to keep my hands warm. And what that allows me to do is like, yeah, in the heat of the moment, I pull them out, I grab my bow, I have my release, you know, I have that dexterity, but the rest of the time, it's like my hands are next to my body. So I don't need, really, I don't need more gloves than that. And that's thanks to that kit link pass-through system. So for me, it's it's those two gloves I get me through the whole season. Got it.
0: Yeah. And that like, you can it's not the best. It's not, it's not as good as the kit link, I would imagine, but you can get like one of those $20, $30 muffs. Yep. But those things are kind of they're a little clunky, I think. And and but they're a great like additional pocket. <laughs> but to your point about that kit link being taller than a saddle, it is kind of a pain when you're in a saddle with a muff like that because you got to like constantly adjust it and it's falling down like in the saddle. So kind of messing around with that. But I I agree as well like I do not like anything on my hands. The only gloves I ever wear all season are those are those fingerless mm-hmm. that you guys have. That's it. And even then a lot of times I'll only put it on um like my grip hand. I won't mm-hmm. put it on my release hand. And then I'll just put my hands in my muff and and run them you know and just keep them in there.
1: Yeah.
0: Um as far as like you know, a hat, like essentially just take it off on your way in and put it on once you're all set up. Like, that's like the last part of your body to get cool, right? Is essentially your head. Yeah. It's also a part of your body that can dump a bunch of heat too. So I'm not,
1: I'm not a hood person. Okay. I I still like, I'm a firm believer that my best tool as a whitetail hunter is my ears. Like I hear, I 90% of the time I hear deer before I see them. Yeah, And I need to be able to hear them before I see them, because that gives me the opportunity to grab my bow off my hanger, right? Like get ready, get in that ready position. So I'm not doing all that moving when the deer are actually in a killable range. So for me, a hood is a huge detriment to that because it's covering up my best asset, my ears. Um, So I, I'm always, uh, I'm always a big like beanie style hat guy. Got it. Um, I wear our, basically, I go from a ball cap to our tag cuff. Okay. Um, so ball cap in the early season, basically for that, it's just a concealment story, right? Yeah. Um, Keeps my ears, you know, not covered, but I do have that additional concealment. And then as soon as it gets cold, I'll run with that tag cuff. Um, yeah. And I kind of use that thing almost like its own layering tool, which that tag cuff, it's like your traditional, if you think of like a Carhartt hat, if you're not familiar with the tag cuff where it pulls down and flips over. Yeah. So the great thing about that hat is I can wear it like on the higher range of temperatures. What I'll do is I'll actually unflip it, unroll it. So it's just a single layer and I'll put it on my head, but I don't cover my ears with it. And then as it gets a little colder, if I need to, I can pull that single layer over my ears so I can still hear, but it's not as much insulation. And then when it gets really cold, I pull it all the way down. I flip it back up on itself. And I'm Mm. essentially doubling that insulation over my ears so like that nice. one hat and three different configurations can give you a different amount of insulation on your head. And to your point, you know, in the really, or, er- you know, in the middle of the season, when it's warmer, it's like, I have that thing in my pack, but I'm not wearing it on the walk-in because I want to dump all the heat I can out of my head. Yeah. So that one piece in a bunch of different configurations um, really helps as the temps change. And that way you don't have four hats, right? It's just like, right. Kind of does a bunch for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, that makes sense. And I, um, I think like uncovering your hands, like those hot spots on your walk in, making sure those are uncovered really dumps a lot of heat. So your hands, Mm -hmm. your head, and then like we said earlier, rolling your pant legs up and getting your feet to vent. Um, so face mask, um, I really like your guys as a neck gaiter. So bought that thing, it's long. So like I can have it over like up to my nose. I can put it over my ears and it still comes all the way down onto my neck. Like yeah. I, I I really like that piece. But then when it gets real cold, I just have a fleet farm like thick neck gaiter that I wear. But the problem with that, like it's it's really nice for warmth. The problem is that I found um when I draw, I get facial pressure from it because it's so thick. And so it can, you know, um, push your arrow in certain directions, you know, you can at, at a 30, 40 yard shot, you can be off an inch or two because of the facial pressure, um, which can be, you know, a shoulder shot or a gut shot versus a lung shot. Um, so what I, what I've been doing is essentially I would wear that. And as soon as I hear something, the first thing I do is push it down, um, just so I think that's a big point to bring up because I used to do it all the time and I see other friends do it, and you're gonna see, you're gonna see it earlier and people are gonna be like, I don't know how it went four inches right. Well, that's why because you have that big face mask on and you don't practice with that face mask on, so you have all this facial tension on your string now, and your anchor point is different and now you're you know you're pushing that arrow when it comes off a certain direction. Um, so I think that's just that's important to bring up. Otherwise, I, I like the face masks just for warmth. And uh, again, that net gator, I cover my ears with it, but it's just that like real thin layer because I 100% agree. I I hear 90% of my deer before I see them. Mm -hmm. You know. um, Well, and the the combination of that too, like I was talking about how I use that one tag cuff in three different configurations.
1: Like you throw a, um, and we have two different weights. So there's the arrow wool, which is the lightest weight face mask, which is really just you know more of a, a concealment piece. Okay, And then there's uh, our mid-weight, which is a 250 weight Merino wool face mask, which is more of, you know, definitely it's a can still works for concealment, but you get a bit more of insulation. So you can wear that in a ton of different configurations too, where it's like, and it's, you know, most down configuration, it's insulating your neck. It's blocking the wind from hitting your neck, both front and back. You can pull it up, you know, to cover your face a little bit. Um, as you need more insulation, you can pull it up over your ears. You know, but the other thing you can do with that, with the beanie, and I'll do this when it gets really cold is I'll pull that face mask up. So it's essentially covering my nose back up over my ears. And yep. then the beanie comes over the top of that. So now yeah. I essentially only have this, you know, basically like my your eye eyeballs, my nose. Yeah, exactly. Uncovered. And I have insulation, you know, on my head and up on my face and my neck yeah. with that, that face mask and beanie combo. You almost are running like a ball of clava. But instead of right. it being one piece, it's two pieces that make up that combination.
0: Yeah, and I like that. I think that's more versatile than a balaclava. Um, but uh, yeah, just looking at that, I'm looking over here at your, on my other screen here, your neck gaiter and your mid uh, your midweight weight gaiter. And your neck, your aerobools sold out currently. To your point, <laughs> it it's an awesome piece, <laughs> it is, yeah, it is, and it, it is sold out. So the midweight neck gaiter is still there. Um, and then you still got some beanies and some balaclavas and everything left, but um, but yeah, I think that kind of covers. Is there any other clothing accessories that we didn't touch on? We got feet, we didn't really cover outer layer pants, yeah, so. I would like to say, and this is not like a massive boost to First Light by any means, because I got you on, but I bought the, and see, this is the problem is I don't even know the name of them. I think they're the Sawbuck brush pants or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Those, I have not, not worn those into the field. I have the Obsidian Merino pants
1: Yeah,
0: and I have bibs and I have swapped those out for those Sawtooth Sawbuck brush pants because- those things like cut through multiple rows, they cut through burrs, they cut through pretty much everything that I need them to. And then I wear a uh, just your, the Merino base layer underneath that. And those things have been phenomenal for me. I, I really like them. Um, but in terms of like other pants you have, you guys have the Merino. Um, it's kind of the same way as the, the upper, upper body, right? Mid Merino base. And then figure out if you're going to put another base in there and then, you know, your, your big puffy pants or whatever. Um, right. I mean, that's pretty much, it's pretty much the same concept. Yeah. A hundred percent. So okay. for
1: me, like early season, I'm running that obsidian pant, which is a Merino wool, um, lighter weight pant. But yep. basically after that, so, you know, we talked about the catalyst, we talked about the solitude. Uh, we talked about the sanctuary, um, In that order, that's increasing insulation. So, you know, of those three catalyst is the most warm weather piece sanctuary is the most cold weather piece. But when I talk about those pieces, that's the same, like it's the catalyst jacket and the catalyst bib or catalyst pants, solitude jacket, solitude pants, sanctuary jacket, sanctuary pants. So those principles apply to the kit. Um, and basically, you know, that's, that's the way you can think about It's like increasing an insulation catalyst has the least amount then it's solitude, then it's sanctuary. So the way that works for me, you know, and and I think most Midwest states is you can think of your catalyst system as your outerwear piece for, let's just call it like October is just, and this is a very general kind of blanket statement. You can definitely run that in late September with the appropriate layering. You can definitely run that through mid November with the appropriate layering, but just to keep this very simple, like that's kind of your standard October temperature range solitude kit. Think of that as like your super bowl. So this is your pre rut rut kit. So this is going to be late October through November. You know, that's kind of perfect for that range. Like definitely you can run it in earlier October with less layering. Definitely you can run it in December with more layering, but that's like generally where that falls. And then as you step up into the sanctuary, which is our coldest weather gear, most insulation, I think of that as like post rut, you know, we're back into like feeding patterns, you know, that's your December, January kit. Um, yeah. so anything that I talked about with any of those pieces, it applies to both the tops and the bottoms.
0: Okay. Got it. Yeah. And the sanctuary is something that like come like mid December, I always want to purchase. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was yeah. Like, I should have bought that earlier. Um, I have a friend who hunts with me who has it. And he's just like, why haven't you bought this yet? You know, cause we always end up. So in the counties that I hunt in one closes December 31st and the one, the other one North of it closes January 31st. So this, my buddy and I, he always hunts a different County until December 31st. Then he swaps to the same County as me and Mm -hmm. we'll hunt the same pieces of public together and he always give me shit like why haven't you purchased this yet (laughs) he's like it's like how are you today i was blistering hot and yeah i'd be like man i i kind of got cold and he'd be like yeah i'm i'm extremely comfortable (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) well it's 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 that piece it's the last thing to come out of your 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 closet right because it, it is heavily heavily insulated you know Wind resistant or windproof, excuse me, highly water resistant. Like it's perfect for that season. But you know, if you don't, and for me, that's, if I haven't punched my tag that like those counties where you can, or those States where you can still hunt late December and January, you want to talk about maybe your best opportunity to kill a big deer. If it hasn't got killed already, or you still have that tag. Like for me, I find deer to be more predictable that time of year than even early season, like that that feeding pattern at the end of the season and a lot of the places i hunt is a better feeding pattern than like the summer feeding pattern that we see you know these deer when we're scouting them throughout the summer so if i still have a tag in my pocket like it's gnarly cold but that's what the sanctuary is for and like that is a fun time of year to still be chasing big bucks if you get the opportunity to
0: yeah and i i would definitely agree just because the simple fact that like most bedding areas, like in the early season, you, they can kind of bed anywhere because there's vegetation anywhere in the late season. There's, there's not, there's very specific pockets where they like to bed and the food sources are extremely limited. So Constantly you have bedding. limited bedding, limited food. Like they're going to be somewhere with, within those two spots for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you can catch them on a pattern. All right. Well, I think that covers like everything for gear. Um, just touching on hunting quick. Um, uh, do you, do you have anything else you want to add to gear? Anything no, I more? mean, I think, I think we covered it. Like I said, you know, it's, it's such a rabbit hole to
1: go down. I mean, we could spend an entire podcast talking about any one of these kits. Um, and I, it can be overwhelming. So I would just say like, you know, if you have any questions beyond this, like, you know, reach out to me directly. I'm happy to answer any questions. The gr- another great thing and like I'm not trying to just make this about First Light, but if you call <laughs> First Light, like you will talk to a human being and every single human being that you talk to spends an insane amount of time a year in the field. Like they're all hunters. Our customer service team is some of the most lethal guys I've ever met and like <laughs> they are, you know, and they can answer any question you have. So like lean on us to help. You know, if you're trying to decide it's like should I buy the catalyst kit this year? Should I buy the solitude kit? Like, if you don't know, give us a ring and like we can talk through those scenarios with you and help you make those decisions. So um, right. definitely like lean on us to help with those decisions. And if you have questions, um, you know, I think following up through firstlight.com or, you know, giving us a call is a great way to, to answer any of those those questions that we maybe didn't touch on in this podcast.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And, and to your, to kudos to your customer service, I call them and ask them about, your questions and whatnot. And I never feel they never like, after I ask about them, they're never like, so um, can I get your credit card number? And, and what do you, what do you want to buy today? You know, yeah. they're never like that. They're just like, yeah, did I get all your questions answered? I'd be like, yep. And they're like, all right, cool. Catch you later. You know, they're, they're super, they're super cool and chill about that, which I, yeah. I, I personally really appreciate. That's great. I'm glad, I'm glad
1: you feel that way too. I mean, it's hilarious. Like I'll, I'll walk into, you know, kind of that area, and, you know, all these guys, are on the, I mean, it literally sounds like just a bunch of people like sharing hunting stories. It's like, what's going on <laughs> in here? Because 90% of those calls, like that's what it turns into, right? It's just right. like shooting the shit about, you know, what, what you were chasing this weekend or what your plans are for the rest of this fall or, you know, whatever. It's like, I think more of the conversations or phone calls that, that those guys have end up, you know, in that realm versus the taking the
0: credit card number <laughs> realm. So it's kind of yeah. funny. Yeah, because it always ends up like, well, what are you doing? And you know, what type of terrain are you haunting, and and how is this unfolding? What time of year are you looking at? And then all of a sudden, like you just break into a story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so that being said, um, real quick before we before we hop off here in the next 10, 15 minutes, what are you uh what are you thinking for October 31st to November 6th in Wisconsin? Um what's kind of your strategy? What are you thinking? Yeah. So
1: I'm going to be on um, this parcel in Western Wisconsin that I've, I've hunted a lot um, over the past, oh, you know, I don't know, maybe five, six years. I've spent a lot of time there. Um, but it's also cool because we've now in the last couple of years, we've actually put a ton of time into um, changing that property. Um, we've done some selective cutting we've actually moved some food sources. Um, we've done some manual TSI. That place needs like a full um, forestry plan which we're getting into place. but we've done some of that, um, put in some water holes, created some bedding areas, things like that. So it's fun to now see even how those things you know that we've done have changed that property. but really for us you know we did some we needed to do some herd management on that place and we did that early season as well as early October. Um, and basically, you know, from the time we left early October until when we get back there, October 30th, October 31st, that place is going to be untouched. So for us, you know, we, we now move into these pre-rut sets. So it's going to be all of those sets that are the typical travel corridors for, um, big bucks looking for does to come into heat, um, or those travel corridors where, You know, these mature deer are trying to really establish their territory um, between bedding areas, you know, leading up to the rut. So we really start to, we focus less on food. We focus more on travel corridors um, between food and bedding um, and those spots that, you know, historically we've found, you know, those mature bucks to be running um, as they're getting prepped for, you know, kind of the breeding season.
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, that'll be a good, I mean, that'll be a fun hunt for sure. And figuring out where they are and what they're doing. Before we talked, you were saying, or before we started recording, you were saying that like, that once the neighbors push in, cause they'll usually push in like October 15th or so, all those deer just feel the pressure and just come burning over. Yeah. And it's been fun watching the cell cams like the last week because every year
1: it kind of happens. Um, You know, once those, and I think the biggest thing for us um, on that property is, you know, Western Wisconsin is great because of the topography, right? There's, it's, there's enough topography that it's not too much ag where, you know, there's fewer timber blocks, but you get these bluffs and hills that they can't farm um so you end up with these lowland flat areas where there is ag so the deer have tons of food but there's also these great chunks of timber and these huge woodland blocks so they have great bedding too so it's almost this perfect ratio just the way the topography plays out there um uh, but one of the things that we notice is um once the corn comes down you know a lot of those deer they live in that corn because they can bed there they're safe they can eat there they don't have to go far so why leave Right. Um, but once that corn comes down and, you know, other neighbors start getting into the woods more and applying more pressure, you know, it's every year, it's that middle of October, that light switch kind of goes off. And then all of a sudden we go from, you know, maybe two or three shooter bucks to there's six living on that property or running around that property. So that's cool. Yeah. Kind of the culmination of those things and that, you know, that pre-rut ramp up, which for me, I would give up, I would give up rut hunting to hunt the pre-rut any year yeah, because I know. like, you know, I like to, I like to rattle. I like to be a little aggressive with calling. I like to be able to interact with those deer before they're so focused on breeding, you know, when they're still in that kind of like seeking and phase. And when the testosterone is really ramping up there in that aggressiveness phase, um, I love that time of year. And for us, that typically ends up being, you know, kind of that end of October window, so yeah, really or to climb up in a tree. No.
0: Yeah. Do you have success with, with rattling and calling and groaning and all that?
1: It's, I have, um, you know, it's definitely not a hundred percent success rate. Like I said, we had some, we have to do a little bit of dough management there. And obviously, you know, that stuff works. I've found that that those aggressive tactics typically work better when you have a really healthy dough to buck ratio. Sure. Uh, Yeah. But, what I've, what I've found to be super successful, especially rattling. I have way more success in the mornings than I do the evenings. Really? Yeah. Okay. That's a new one. Yeah. And that, um, that pre-rut, you know, kind of that October 25th ish to like November 1st, that's when I've had the most success because for me anyways, um, in those mornings when you're catching those bucks coming from where they were feeding all night, back to these bedding areas, their testosterone ramping up. They're trying to establish their territory. They just seem to be more fired up um, Okay, that time of year. And like that time of day, that's not tried and true, right? Like I have, there's no, more times no. that it doesn't work than it does, but that's when I've actually found some pretty good success with it.
0: And are you just, so are you just bl- like blind rattling and then setting them down and just hanging out and waiting? It, I don't, I don't like
1: to do a ton of blind rattling. I definitely do. Like that time of year, kind of my strategy is if I know there's a dominant deer or two in the area, um, and I've learned this through either a seeing them or b you know, watching their patterning them on cameras. I know they freaking that area and it's that time of year I'll do a every hour on the hour. Um, and my strategy there is like, it's not too much, but it's enough that, you know, if maybe that deer skirted me, you know, and he was 60 yards away and I didn't see him but he bedded up in that area, or maybe he's, you know, a hundred yards away coming my way. Um, I've had success pulling those deer in before I even saw them. Um, The other strat, and that's with, with antlers, you know, that's rattling specifically. Um, I'll blind rattle more than, I very, very rarely blind call. Um, Okay. The grunt tube or snort wheeze. I typically use those things where it's like, that deer is close, close enough that I can see it, but I need, you know, he's at 80 and I need him at 40 or, you know, he's at 50 and I need him at 20. That's when we pull out those tools.
0: Got it. Okay, cool. Um, all right. Well, yeah, no, I think that's it. I mean, we've gone, I don't know, an hour and a half or so and we can, this, this conversation can go another, (laughs) can go another 45 minutes, but, um, but yeah, man, best of luck in the, in the, in the Wisconsin hunt, plus the Kansas um, plus the North Dakota, oh, yeah. <laughs> like going back and forth. And um, where can, so if people want to reach out to you directly, where can they find you?
1: Yeah. I mean, me directly. Um, I'm not huge on the social platforms. I even pretty yeah. low profile, but it's just Greg Farrell on, on Instagram. Um, and I got first light in my bio. So you'd see that happy to answer questions there. Otherwise um, you know, the for any of the First Light channels, you know whether it's FirstLight.com, you know you want to send an email to us, you can do that through the website. We've got a chat function on there. Um, that same okay. customer service team that answers your phone call are the same people that are answering those chats. Um, so it's all in house, no third party stuff. Um, otherwise, give us a ring, um, and if you know we're we're really. One of the things that is cool about First Light is, you know, the culture that's established there, you know, it's all, it's a bunch of diehard hunters, you know, pretty much anybody there is going to be an expert in whatever you have questions on. But if they're not, you know, they're very willing to pass you off to the person that does. So, you know, there's definitely times where I'm fielding some customer service questions as well, because one of the guys there doesn't know, you know, a technical aspect of a piece that, you know, somebody's asking about. So um, be reassured if you, if somebody can't answer a question for you, you know, right away when you chat them or call them, like we'll get the answer to you as soon as possible. So that's probably the best way to reach out with any questions you have.
0: Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks again for, for hopping on Greg and for everybody listening. You guys enjoyed this podcast. Um, you like it, you want to hear more, please, uh, subscribe, leave a review. That would be extremely helpful. Helps us kind of climb the ladder, um, of the hunting podcasts and, um, see you guys next time. Thanks.